Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Summer's ending. Oh, summer's ending. But you can come next week at a homecoming. One of the great things that we have here at Rock Point is we have a sand volleyball put right out there. Any, any volleyball players out there? Yeah? We'll have that up and going. It's never too late. I love that we also have a volleyball text thread of people who like to play volleyball and they realize it's a game that you compete. All right? Every once in a while, someone will invite me to go play volleyball for fun. And when I hear... Do you want to go play volleyball for fun? I hear, do you want to go skip around in the sand and occasionally hit a ball in front of people? And my answer is no. I hate sand. Why would I do that? See, volleyball is a competition. If you say, do you want to play volleyball? And I see the look in your eyes, and you know that you will dive into that sand that I hate, I'm like, let's play, all right? So don't ask me to play volleyball for fun because I play to win. Because you know what is fun? Winning is fun. <laughs> Losing, not fun, all right? So that's how it is. That's just me. I have a little competitive bone. You know what else isn't fun? Suffering, pain, hardship. So we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> In high school, I uh, was... Uh, I didn't join basketball. I watched these wrestlers my freshman year. And I saw the way that these wrestlers practiced, how they competed. They would run the halls. They'd be there early. They'd be there after school. And I saw their intensity that they, they brought to their sport. And I said, I want to be a part of that. So I joined the wrestling team. And I was wrestling. And I was learning how to do this. And then as I was in practice one day, they were, we are learning a move. And you're sparring with one of my teammates. And he grabs my arm and he starts doing a move. But I knew immediately he was doing this wrong. And he pivoted the wrong way. And the way he ended up doing this, he ended up pulling my left shoulder and dislocating the shoulder. It just popped. Everyone in the gym heard it. Then he proceeded to do the rest of the move, which meant you threw me. And he threw me and I landed on that shoulder and it was slammed right back in like Bruce Willis. All right. And so it was, it was painful. I couldn't move my arm up at all for, for weeks, for a couple months. Um, and as I started letting it heal and giving it some time, I had this thing start playing through my head. Will I be able to be better? Am I going to have what it takes to have this heal? And then in my head, it started playing even worse. Do my teammates believe that I have what it takes? Will I walk out in there in front of all that crowd and other people see me? Will I have what it takes? And though the pain and the suffering and the hardship was physical, the thing that took me out of the game was internal. And so you know what happened? I dipped. <laughs> I quit. I never went back to wrestling. And it was something that I thought I would enjoy. 
And that's when we look at suffering and hardship, there are, there are physical pains and suffering, but often it's what happens internally that can get the better of us. It's the hardships that happen on the inside that will either make, have us make a decision to not enter into a game, like I don't play volleyball, right? or has you pulled out of a game, right? and you don't join a team. And what we're looking at today is a passage in Scripture where Paul's writing to Timothy. So we're looking at 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. And Timothy is hearing from Paul, who was somebody who was on his team. They were Christians. They were missionaries together. And so here is Paul writing to Timothy, and we're going to learn about suffering. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share my suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so as Paul is writing this to Timothy, it's, it's nice that he ends with this, consider what I say. What he, Paul is using here is known as a, didact, a didactic formula, a teaching method that would have been known at the time to let people know, to reflect on what was previously spoken. What we're more accustomed to is maybe a phrase that I have to say far too often at youth group. Pay attention! <laughs> right? Or, hey, listen up! When you hear that, we know that what's about to come is important. What is about to be shared should impact you. You need to know this. What Paul is using is a method that says, look back. He says, hey, consider. Consider what I say. Because it's supposed to hit us. It's supposed to impact us. And so we look back, and we're going to look through these verses a little one by one. Looking back to one. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We'll get to that one. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you have a command in here. Paul is commanding Timothy, I want you to take what you have learned and I want you to engage in ministry. I want you to teach other people. I want you to engage. This is your job. You are commanded to do this. I need you to serve. God wants you to serve others. But then as soon as he says, you're going to go and serve, then Timothy is told this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Because he knows that as we serve, suffering will be a part. But the main idea, the main focus is where he starts. He says, you therefore, my son, in verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is being told to have power, to find strength in grace. And the main resource that we need to depend on for the suffering is going to come all the way back here to verse 1, this idea of grace. Now, grace, it's, it's a churchy word. Sometimes we need to define those things. Sometimes we, it's good to under, get an understanding about a term. I remember going to a conference when I was in college, 
And the, the title of the talk wasn't Be Strong in Grace. It was The Bible's Best Kept Secret. And I was like, ooh, I want to know what the best kept secret. Don't you want to know what the best kept secret is in the Bible? And so he's going on and on. And he had me. And I'm listening. And I'm waiting. And what is the secret going to be? And I couldn't. I, I was oh, anticipation was through the roof. And then he finally gets to that moment. And he's like, and here is the best kept secret. It's grace. And as soon as he said that, I was a little deflated and disappointed. Because like, grace? I don't know what grace is. That's the prayer you say before dinner. And I kid you not, the next words out of his mouth was, and if you only think grace is a prayer you say before dinner, you have no idea what grace is. And I thought, hmm, I have no idea what grace is. And I was confused. Just as you might be confused right now. Like, what is he doing with a basketball, right? You know what a basketball is, right? And, and it's confusing. You don't know why does he have a basketball. What's he going to do with the basketball? Ah, what's he going to do with the basketball? <laughs> now it's Randy who's wondering, what's he going to do with the basketball? I told you I didn't play basketball, right? <laughs> and I quit wrestling. <laughs> I joined drama. <laughs> but what this illustrates is this important thing about called context. Context is understanding something in all that surrounds it. If you say something, but some people will say, will quote you, but you're like, whoa, 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 you're taking that out of context. That's not what I meant. You're pulling out one little thing, but you got to listen to all that I had said. And the same can happen here with this idea of grace. What's the context that's being shared here? For us to understand what it means to be strong in the grace, we have to understand the context. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's protégés. He had poured into this young guy. He was a mentor to Timothy. And then they became peers on the missionary field, and they would go and they planted churches. Timothy is actually found writing a letter alongside Paul to another church. Right? Now, Timothy is left here pastoring and leading a church while Paul is in prison. And this letter he's writing, 2 Timothy, will be Paul's last letter as he is facing death for suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing to Timothy. And he writes in the context that we start in here of 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 1. He says all about Timothy. You're going to suffer. Suffering is coming. But remember, God has given you gifts. He's given you power. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and strength and of love. And he says, use the gifts. And that gift word is the same root as grace. You see, because I learned in that Bible's best kept secret what grace is. Often when we think of grace, we think of the grace that we get in salvation. In salvation, how, what does salvation mean? We, we have sins, and they separate us from God. And we cannot be with him because our sins, are they keep us from him. He is perfect, and we are not. And so we need a way to make this difference. And we can't earn our way to him because it's still, we still have these sins. But what happened is God sent his son Jesus to die for your sin so that a payment is made and so that you can just, by placing your faith in him, you can receive that forgiveness. And when you receive that forgiveness, you don't do it because of what you did. You didn't earn it. It is just given to you through faith, by faith, through grace. 
And grace means you get what you don't deserve. You get forgiveness, adoption. You're bought into his family. You have all his blessings. That is grace. And often, it's not only just a prayer now. We can think about it. Okay, grace means when I die, I'm going to heaven. And that is true. But grace isn't only about your eternal standing. As a follower of Jesus, we follow, we live our days. We don't live it perfectly. We still have a sinful nature. We're still going to fall short. I am not perfect today or yesterday or tomorrow. But I can walk today and tomorrow in his grace. And I need his grace. He also, I also have been given gifts. Right? I've been given gifts because God says, I want you on my team. Join my team. I need you to serve. How, are we hurt the, how do we hear the gospel? Because Paul engaged Timothy and Timothy's saying, Timothy is to engage others. And God needs people to serve. And so when he's telling Timothy, be strong in the grace, it's not just salvation. It's living each and every day as we become more and more like Jesus. Because the church is a family where we all come together and we find strength in God. So here, here's the point. Here's the main idea that I believe God wants for each and every one of us today. Is that today we can find strength to share in suffering with grace. With grace. God wants you and me and all of us serving him. But he knows it will have its own suffering. He wants you to live in this gracious power that comes from Jesus as you use your gifts, as you use how he's made you. And despite that suffering, you can find strength each and every day, but it's only going to become from God's grace as we serve and do ministry. So what is ministry? Ministry is us serving. Ministry can look like a lot of different things. Ministry can look like people who show up here early to do music and tech and make church happen. Ministry is people showing up on other days of the week to stock our pantry. Ministry is going and, and giving us Saturday to go serve in, in Osborne or prepping a Bible study or an event for a men's, our men's ministry or a women's ministry. Ministry can be coming to church on Sunday to both services so that you can attend one and then serve our kids in another. That's ministry. But ministry isn't only here. Ministry is discipling our own kids in our homes, discipling our spouses and our parents. Right? It's going into a workplace and being an example there and shining Jesus and talking about Jesus and taking a postcard and going, hey, would you check out our homecoming event? And it's being a light. And as we do ministry each and every day, there will be suffering at times. It will happen. As you are known as a Christian, people will look at you maybe differently. And we'll be concerned about our image and how other people receive you and how even how other people treat you. And as you engage with people in their lives, you're going to get close to them. And they're gonna, you're going to get the blessings of being able to help others as we all are being made perfect and becoming like Jesus. And they're going to share hurts and burdens and you can help them carry them. And you're going to weep and you're going to hurt with them. And you will be hurt. It'll be hard. He will drum up stuff inside of you. Because showing up to serve requires a strength inside that comes from grace. 
we all need to work internally with God to properly love others externally. Be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. Lean on that grace each and every day. Paul commands Timothy to do that. He says, share in suffering. And then he says it this way with three illustrations. The first, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. What can we learn from this illustration? What Paul wants us to understand in the context about serving and suffering. Well, you'll see in each of these that all these illustrations have like a positive and, and a negative. And the tense of this one, when he talks about serving as, as a soldier, the tense is present. So it's denoting a, a soldier who is active, who is currently on assignment. That soldier has a duty to perform. And the aspect that the, Paul is emphasizing here is the fact that this soldier, the positive, is the soldier has a singular focus on his duty. The soldier is not getting distracted by the the civilian affairs, but knows that the soldier has a duty to perform and to serve. And even though those affairs are there, they're temptations. There are other pursuits. The soldier sees the world around him, but lives apart from it. The soldier serves these civilians. That's who they serve, but doesn't get to partake in all the pleasures. And the the soldier hears the world screaming, hey, live this way, but knows They have to live differently. And how does that soldier live? That soldier lives to please the commanding officer. Lives for one person alone. And though those distractions may pull away, the soldier needs to come back with, what has my commanding officer said? In fact, if you look at that term for the commanding officer, that term isn't just commanding officer, it literally is the enlisting officer. So the soldier, the good soldier of Jesus, is a soldier who is serving under the command of the person who enlisted him into that unit. And not only are we saved, and Jesus is our Savior, but he is our Lord. And we place ourselves under him. He enlists you, he bought you at a price, he brings you in his family, and he says, listen and serve me. Being strong in grace means that he continually, though, letting Jesus be the one that redirects your life. I mean, how many times do we need to refocus? How often do you find yourself where you're re-looking at your priorities and your values and you realize that you had a shift? They've kind of drifted. How how often has the cares and the values and the the priorities of the world kind of creeped in and taken over your priorities? Or you've never even let go of them in the first place. But being strong in the grace means we let him dictate what the command is. I see this all the time with my kids. They go out and they go to school. They listen to their friends. Even sometimes it's their siblings. And they're telling them what they should do and how they're supposed to live. And they come, they come back and they're suffering and they're carrying this. And praise God that they come to me and my wife and they share. And they're suffering. Because we can say, well, that's not how we raised you. Here's the values. Here's what's mattered we say, do this. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to this voice. And we speak Jesus into our family. And our kids need that, right? Whose kid are you? You need that. 
Do you know his commands? Do you let him redirect you as a good soldier? Paul moves on to another one. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Again, what can we draw out? There's a lot of ways that Paul could have used the illustration of an athlete, but what can we draw out here? He says that the athlete is not crowned unless. The goal is to be crowned. The goal is to win. <laughs> not just for fun, but to win, right? He says, you're an athlete. You're going to play the game. It's going to, I want you in the game, but the goal is to win. There's a goal, whether it's basketball or volleyball or board games or video games. If you know me, you know I love board games. I love video games. But Paul is using this saying, you need to win. And what does it take to win? He says that the athlete needs to compete according to the rules. Now, according to the rules would have been a phrase that would have been, again, commonly known. You see this in extra biblical material at the time. It was something that was applied as they spoke about games. The most, com the most popular one would have been like the Olympiad, right, where they would train, where we get the Olympics. And according to the rules, talks about either two ways. One, it's the rules of that particular race that you're going to compete in. Or two, it referred to a 10-month training period that every athlete had to go through in order to qualify to be in the race. And whichever one that Paul is using to instruct Timothy it's fine, right? Because there are rules in the race and there are things we need to do to be qualified to be in that race. And we need to compete according to the rules. Because when you compete according to the rules, what is the, what is the goal there then in our context? It's a moral excellence. It's a moral excellence. It's a self-control that we deny that sinful nature, right? That we want to be, be, be being made better. It's an ongoing process that allows us to get in the game and to serve. I remember in high school, again, another one from high school, I played euchre. Any euchre players out here? Anyone like euchre? Oh, that's a, that's a good competition, right? And I would play at lunch. I had a free period. I, play, I would play euchre at, at my free period. And I had a friend named Dan. And Dan and I were always partners. And people didn't really like playing against us because everyone thought that I could stack the deck, which means you would put the cards in the right place, that you're giving your partner or you, like, the good cards so that you would win. Right? And I was like, oh, free knows how to stack the deck. I'm not playing against them. And we would often win. And so we'd be playing, and everyone would be looking at me and critiquing, and I would play it up, and the way I'd shuffle things and ham it up, because that's what I could do. I could ham it up. Guess what? I couldn't stack the deck. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know how to do that. But Dan could. <laughs> so my job was to draw all the attention, the misdirection onto me, while Dan cheated for us. All right? I might turn up a bower and go see, and they're like, oh, but he was always doing it quietly cheating, right? And that's how it was hidden. And often that's kind of what we do. When we have the parts of us that are against our moral excellence, we hide them and we misdirect. I tell you, far too often people don't serve because they see what's happening internally. They know, we know our sins. We know our weaknesses. We think we got to walk in this place, shiny, happy people with it all together. You don't. This isn't a place for perfect people. This is a place for broken people who are made right by Jesus. 
And there are broken people who need to see broken people. Right? Now, that being said, doesn't mean we can just go on and keep en engaging in sin. But as an athlete, we compete according to the rules, striving, getting trained and qualified so that we can win. And God designed suffering that way. Any video game players out there? All right. All right. It's the fastest growing industry. There's more revenue right now from video games than movies and rep music combined by a lot. All right. But what I like about video games is they're designed so that you win. All right? But they're hard. If it's designed to win, it was easy. You open up the game, and you're like, I want to start. And they're like, you start. And he's like, you win. You're like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> Similarly, if you pick up a game and it's really hard, it's hard, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, it's impossible to win. You're like, well, that is also stupid. But if you go and you face adversity and you try, and sometimes it'll say, game over, you want to start again, and you keep playing, you get better, eventually you will win. And that's exactly how God is doing for us in our character. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to step into ministry and your sin is still going to be there. Your weakness is going to rub off on other people. It's going to be tough. But we suffer because it develops our character, and eventually... We're always becoming more and more like Jesus. Finally, he uses one more illustration. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Now, I grew up in the city. My wife grew up in rural Cairo in Michigan around farmers. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see farming all the time, but I know enough about farming that it's hard. Right? When you think about farming, they're up before the sun, they're working until after the sun goes down, they're working whether it's raining, whether it's hot, right? every season, they're out in the field, they're getting dirty, they often have to do everything for themselves, maintaining their barn and their equipment and all the work, and it takes a lot of people, and it was difficult. And Paul is saying, look, it, the positive that a, of a farmer is it's, 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 they get this crop, but the hard part is it's going to be difficult. But the positive is the farmer receives the first share of the crops. What does that mean in this context, the first share of a crop? Well, the farmer is out in the fields right there, and the fruit is right there, and they're constantly in it. And when it's time to harvest, they're right there with it. They can see it, and they take the first fruits, and they put it on their table, and it fuels them to work the next day. And then the rest is sold, and it blesses the community. And it's the same with ministry, guys. If you jump into that field of ministry, it's going to be hard. And it's going to take work. And sometimes you've got to work a lot and get dirty and long hours, and you don't see the crop until the end. But when the crops come, you'll be the first to see it. The pantry worker comes and stocks all this, but when people come through and their faces light up, you see it. I see it all the time in youth ministry. You put all this work and people are coming in every week and helping with youth. But our kids, they're growing. And our leaders, we see it. I, I like do-it-yourself projects because unlike a lot of work in ministry, it's very visual. I, I love, my car doesn't work. I put in all this work. I nick my hands. I fix it. Now it works. I got a widget, right? I see the transformation. Often in ministry, we don't see that transformation all apparently, but over time, you can look back and see the fruit. 
And it's the fruit of ministry, that first crop of ministry that often fuels us to have the energy to keep going and be the hard-working farmer. Right? I used to have a file, a literal file, like on paper with a folder that said, it's worth it all. And I'd write stories that I'd seen in ministry. Because when you serve in ministry, it is worth it all. And so Paul tells Timothy to find the strength to share in suffering. I have a question for you. What do you need to overcome with the strength of grace? What is it that God might be challenging in your heart internally so that you can better love externally and others? There's something inside that we might need to overcome. And we keep looking at at these examples, maybe you need to overcome the weakness of the soldier, the distractions, the things that take you off of the focus. Is there stuff in your job, in your life? Is there worry and ambition? Is there something that's distracting you from living under the lordship and pleasing your enlisting officer who says, I want you. Come, use those gifts. Maybe you need to overcome the weakness of the athlete, the compromise. Right? We see our sins and our weakness, and we don't give ourselves grace each and every day to get up there and serve. And you need to do the real work to look at yourself like God sees you, holy, blameless, washed white, becoming like Jesus. Maybe you need to overcome the weakness of the farmer. Comforts. I don't want to work that hard. I, I like the cushy life. And we need to pursue ministry and comfort. So we have three illustrations. We have basketball, right? The basketball reminds us of the context. Well, what's the context here? And so I, I have uh, some people come over here to help us see one last thing in context. 2 Timothy 2.2, we had already read this. It says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so what is happening there is Paul is writing to Timothy, right? Timothy, anyone call you Timothy? Nope. Paul is writing to Tim, all right? Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to commit to faithful men. Faithful? Faithful enough, all right? <laughs> I want you to commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Are you able to teach others also? Yep. Sure, all right? And what we see here are the layers of when we get into ministry, you are not alone. Paul says, entrust yourself to others. And though we might have our own suffering, and there's the goal, and it seems daunting, we're going to miss a lot of shots if we do it on our own. If you entrust to other faithful men, who are other people who can teach others as well, It becomes easier. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It becomes easier, right? Because God didn't design ministry for you to do alone. Jesus surrounded himself with men and women. He multiplied into them. This whole idea of multiplication is the only reason we have the gospel today. Is you stand on generation after generation after generation of faithful men and women who gave their lives to Jesus, who are entrusted with the gospel, and brings the truth that you need to you today. Just as God is asking you, what can you do? 
and there's, you need others. So not only is there maybe something that God wants to challenge you internally that you need to overcome, but also this. Who does he want you to entrust yourself to? And to whom does he want you to entrust what he has given you? Because we're not meant to be alone. But that is one of the primary vehicles in which we receive grace. Like literally just this last week, my wife and I are sitting around with four good friends. And actually we do this regularly. And we are just sharing our lives and we are talking about the sufferings and the hardships that are happening. And there was no shiny happy faces, but each person, olders to youngers, men to women, are helping each other to be strong in the grace. And every one of those people are people that I respect who do ministry, who live for Jesus. And there's no way, there's no way I could do this alone and live this life. But here's the, here's the thing that's amazing. You don't have to. So maybe there's stuff that is being overcome inside. Maybe there's people. Maybe you don't know. We have these cards here in front of you in these pews. Maybe there's something you, just, you want to do. Maybe it's time to say, all right, I'll come to two services. I'll serve those kids. Maybe there's a ministry that you need to involve in. We have Bible studies for men and women. We have these women's groups that are starting. Sign up. Surround yourself. If you don't know who it is, come. Find somebody. We will help you find people that you can entrust your, yourself to. But know that ultimately, as you surround yourself with Christ followers, all of us will be pushing you to Jesus. Because it's being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Amen, Lord. We just come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak life into us. We are your kids and you've spoken this, this life into us. Lord, and I pray for every person here. I pray, Lord, that we would all just see those things that we need to overcome and we would give them to you. We would give them to you as our Savior. If we haven't entrusted you for the grace to be our Savior, Lord, we just hand all of our sins to you. We say, Lord, forgive me. I want a life following you. And as all of us take that weakness that we still carry around, this sinful nature we still have to battle, Lord, we thank you that you have given us not only grace for salvation, but grace to live today. Grace to live in your strengths and the gifts and the ways you've wired us. And Lord, would you help us to not remove ourselves from the game or to quit, but to get in and to serve. Would you give us your wisdom and the wisdom that only comes from you as to where you want us to be, to whom you want us to entrust, who do you want us to teach and show what we've, we've learned from you, Lord. And we thank you that that grace to live every day comes from you and you only. Father, I thank you for your grace and the strength that it provides for us. Lord, as we prepare to go into a whole new season of ministry, as different ministries now begin to ramp up and go into full speed, Father, I pray that your grace would be with us. I pray, Lord, that you'd precede us with your Holy Spirit to next Sunday, that you'd be present on this campus in our service, in worship, in word, but also, Lord, just in fellowship afterwards, and that we would form bonds and connections that would further bless you and those around us. We commit these things into your hands. We thank you and we praise you this day. And the church said, Amen.